Nice to see everybody this morning. Glad that you're here in church. Could be a lot of other places. We're going to look at what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to be bringing a message in front of the man who graded my Bible school test. So hopefully he has his black pen and not his red one. Let's start, if you would, if you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's pray, dear God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that your word uh, is something we can rely on, something we can be confident in, something we can put our faith and trust in when everything else in our world seems to swirl about and be uncertain. Uh, Lord, we know that your word is certain and help us to uh, be blessed by the reading of it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Corinthians chapter 1. The preacher gave a really good illustration. I wish I could say it was mine, but I'm just going to steal it. He talked about the old mason jars. Do you all remember your mom or grandma having one? And when they sealed it, it would be sealed, but permanently sealed until you could just about have to get a crowbar and break it open. And you could leave it down in the, the basement in my grandparents' house. It was really musty and nasty down there in the mountains in North Carolina. And the whole jar would be nasty and filthy, but inside it would still be perfectly fine because it was sealed by the right hands. And if God puts his seal on you, it's not going anywhere. And the outside may get dirty, but the inside is still going to be fine and preserved until that day when he needs to pop it open. So that was Brother James and I stole it. Shamelessly stole it. Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. The Bible says, For as God is true, our word toward you is not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Sylvanus and Timotheus was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises in him are yea, and in him, amen. Or if you're from North Carolina, amen. Unto the glory of God by us, now he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Now, let's look at our verb tense there. When the Bible says, he anoints us, that would be it's right now, but what does it mean if he hath anointed us? It's what? It already happened. It's in the past. What about hath sealed us? Now, if my grandmother can keep those preserves from going bad, do you think God can probably keep your soul from going bad? I think so. Look, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 1. It looks like a black pen. That's good. Uh, verse number 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And we're driving on the Ephesians 1 road, and there's an X in it says, preach against Calvinism for 30 minutes. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have time to do that. It's very tempting to pull over into that, in that. But after I believed, God sealed me. Mm -hmm. Ephesians chapter 4. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me also mention this. The earnest is a down payment. You make a down payment on a house or a down payment on a car. You're promising that dealership, I am going to give you the rest of this money at a certain time. Now, in this case, it's not because God doesn't have the money, or in this case, the valuable goods, but it's just not the right time. When you make a down payment on a house, you're telling the mortgage company, yes, I'm going to come through with this, 
or if you're making a down, this wouldn't apply to anyone here, but if you're making a down payment on a ring, you're telling the jewelry shop, I am going to be able to come through with this money. Nobody in here. Oops, sorry, I'm not so let's just, stay, let's just stay on track. Ephesians chapter 4. It's true. It's true. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed. Into the... Did I offend you? No. Okay. Day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So I'm sealed unto the day of redemption. Granny may have sealed those preserves until we were coming to the house that July when all the people here were sweltering in the heat. We would wake up and it would be 70 degrees outside on that mountain. And so it was really fun to take a picture and text it of the thermometer and send it back to people here. But they didn't think it was that funny. I also wanted to mention, this is not in the outline, um, Revelation chapter... Oh, where is it? A 20, uh, chapter 20 and verse number 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and so on and so forth. Now, uh, pretend that... Now, God's going to put a much better seal than this on the devil. But if God puts this seal on the devil and he's in here, no matter what he does, is he getting out? He wants to get out of this seal. He wants to be broken out of that seal, and he's not able to. You are a child of God. Even if you sin and get your bottle all dirty, you're not going to be able to break this seal. If the devil can't break the seal, you're not going to be able to. All right, let's go to our next one. Uh, John chapter 14 and verse 17. Sorry we have to so quickly sail through these. The sealing of the Spirit implies the indwelling of the Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit moves inside of you. Now, do we still have our flesh when the Holy Spirit moves inside? We do, don't we? Does that create tension and conflict? I'm the only one? Oh, we got some spiritual giants in here. No, everybody, every single person has that conflict. John chapter 14 and verse 17. The Bible says, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither ought knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Dwelleth, ongoing, he dwelleth with you. Come, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. Oh, and also that Revelation passage, that wasn't even God putting a seal. God just picked a random angel and said, go put a seal on the devil. And if the angel seal holds the devil, I guarantee you God's seal is going to hold you. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. Bible says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. I remember reading of a man in the watchtower 
religion and he read this verse and it just blew him away because he realized that he wasn't in Christ because the spirit wasn't dwelling in him because in their uh, religion uh, there is no real Holy Spirit as such it's like this force this new age kind of force that floats around and they won't put spirit as far as I know ever as a capital S but always a lower case S they don't believe that the Holy Spirit is um, part of the Trinity because they hate the Trinity, despise that doctrine. Well, they're wrong. I'll be glad to tell them. When the virus stops and they start knocking on our doors, we will all be very glad to tell them about that. Romans chapter 8, verses 9. So come, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, our doctrine is that the sealing of the Spirit implies the indwelling. So he seal, God seals me and puts the Spirit inside, and that Spirit's not going anywhere. So when you do sin, you are grieving the Spirit, and it creates a great spiritual dissonance inside of you. It's an unresolved chord for you. Several of you are taking music lessons. It just it doesn't really, it's not right until you fix it, until you get it right. And in uh, the hymn book, you can't end a, a hymn on a dissonant, unresolved chord. Well, you're not supposed to. <laughs> it probably is. First uh, Corinthians chapter 6. If you would, verse number 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So the Holy Ghost is in you, is, it, it's a present sense of being. All right, our next one, the Holy Spirit teaches us. It's very common to hear in our culture of someone say, I follow so-and-so on Twitter. I follow so-and-so. You are letting that person teach you. That may be good, that may not be good. Maybe they're teaching you how to change your oil in your car. That's not a sin. Maybe they're, if you're, uh, I don't know. Maybe they're teaching you how to change your tire or to restring your guitar or something like that. That's fine. But a lot of that is not what I hear when people uh, use that phrase. They are letting somebody else influence them. They want to talk like that person. They want to act like that person. They want to dress like that person. They want to be like that person. They want to emulate that person. We should let the Holy Spirit teach us and not the world. Because the Holy Spirit is our comforter and he cares about us. Does the world care about us? Anybody? No. Now, I realize that some of, several of you still live with your parents and it's more theoretical. Well, the preacher saying that the world doesn't care about me and I know uncle so-and-so and he's out in the world and nothing's bad happened to him yet. So I realize that until you move out and you and you have some years where you see people that go out in the world and see them make shipwreck of their lives, it may be more theoretical, but I want you to believe it not because I'm saying it, but because God says it. Now, Brother David and, and Miss Lauren here know very well what I'm talking about. Uh, let's look in uh, John, John's Gospel, as they say in the UK. Uh, John chapter 16 and verse 13. Howbeit when he, what do we tell our watchtower co-workers? When he, it's a person, 
When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Oh, isn't that a blessing that God, you guys, some of y'all don't, didn't watch football growing up, but you would grab someone when you're trying to tackle them really hard and horse collar them, you'd grab them, I'm not going to do it here, I'd grab him from the back of his neck and just pull him down. If I'm trying to stop him, y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm trying to stop him from getting a touchdown. Now, isn't it, isn't it a blessing the Lord guides me instead of, Jed, I'm the only one in the universe who probably thought of football when they read that verse. That's okay. So God, the Lord's going to guide me into all truth. Jed, you know, you need, I, mean, I, don't have, I don't have conversations out loud with myself. I'm just, for example. He's going to guide me into where I need to go. And he shall not speak of himself. For whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show you things to come. And again, if we had two or three hours, which, by the way, they did have sermons in the colonial days. Most of them were that long. We would park for a long time on this idea of these charismatic folks that we know. Oh, well, you know, God told me to buy an iPhone. God told me to buy a red car. God told me to apply at McDonald's. Wait, wait, wait. If God told you that, if God told me for God to love the world, that's a verse, right? So if God told you that, here's a blank page in my Bible. I want you to write down, you know, first Susan chapter one, whatever. If God told you that, that's a verse. Well, no, I don't mean it like that. Then what do you mean? Did God tell you or did he not tell you? He told me what was in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit guides me into all truth. Thy word is truth. So there's a relationship between the Son, the Spirit, and God's word. It makes me very nervous when some people in our crowd talk about God told them to do this. Now, he told you to love your family and, you know, love your neighbors and witness. And if you say God told me to witness, so therefore I'm going downtown on Friday. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes, he did tell you that. But God told me to buy three smoke detectors instead of two. (laughs) That stuff makes me nervous, but that floats around even in our crowd a little bit. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. The word of God is Christ. So he hears what Jesus says and he teaches that and he guides. Now he does reprove the world of sin. But in general, we're being guided and led. Look, if you would, in chapter 14, John 14. And John in 14, 15, 16, 17, if you have a red letter Bible, it's almost all red letters. Some really powerful passages here. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Who in here is in Bible school? A few people. Now, if you were in Bible school, in class, and you were pretending to listen, and you were really, you know, looking at cards, or I don't know what y'all do on your computers, looking at cards or something, and you didn't pay attention to anything that the teacher said, and then the test came up, and you got the, t- the paper, and the paper was blank, and your brain was blank, can you pray, oh Lord, bring into my remembrance all the things that I learned? You can, but it's going to go into the spam folder, because it's not going to get read. God's not going to put a thought into your brain of something to remember that you never even learned. You have to have that in your brain to bring it into your remembrance. Oh, I re- David may say, oh, do you remember such and such when we went out to such and such place or we went to Salt Lake City? Oh, yes, because I was at that outreach in Salt Lake City and I can somewhat remember it. That one was a long time ago, about 10 years ago. 
But if I've never been to Salt Lake City, I can't remember it. So if you don't read your Bible and you expect in your time of temptation or trial, oh, God's going to bring all these verses into my mind, where exactly are they going to come from if you've never learned them, if you've never read them? Now, sometimes you read them and you don't even memorize them and you're talking to your aunt or you're talking to your neighbor and this verse will come to your mind, but it's something that the Lord is pulling out that it was already there. It's a file that was in your file cabinet and he's going to pull it out and he's like, oh, here's the verse that you need. Now, if your file cabinet's empty, where exactly is he going to pull verses from? He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I, Jesus, have said unto you. Oh, I'm, I'm tempted to keep going, but we're running really short on our time. Look, let's, we're going to have to come down to verse uh, um, the, our third uh, point of how the Holy Spirit comforts us. Here in our text, it says that the Holy Ghost is the comforter. And one of the, the guys, uh, someone was preaching, and they said there was one of those um, quilt things, and their wife went to it. And a saved lady made a comforter, you know, the things you go on, on your bed, a little C comforter, and wrote on it, and what is the word, Lauren, knitted or crocheted? Whatever it is that you, you add letters to a blanket. Embroidered. Thank you, embroidered. Sorry, I don't know about those things. And it said, Jesus Christ is my comforter. And they hung it up at the um, quilt show, whatever it's called, the quilt show. And that was, that's a great witness. All these women, maybe they're saved and maybe they're not. They were saying, wow, this woman wants to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. But yes, he, he is a comforter. People tr- seek comfort in all kinds of things and they don't find it. The eye is not, hath not its fill of seeing, the ear hath not its fill of hearing. The people in Athens did what? They did nothing else but to see or to hear some new thing. They didn't have cell phones, but they may as well have because they were, hey, did you hear about this? Did you hear about this? But every day they want to hear about something new because the stuff they heard about yesterday is already boring and old and not important and not comforting. Verse uh, uh, 16 in that chapter in John 14. And I will pray the Father, that is, I'll ask, and he shall give you another comforter, capital C, that he, it's a person, may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, and he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. This passage is a blessing. There are people in our lives, and in our case, in our case probably our family, and they make a, make a promise. You know, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. We're going to go here for vacation and they make make a promise and they may have every intention of keeping it. They may get all of their money ready. They may save up their, their um, money in the savings account. They may even have all the frequent flyer miles they need. And then there may be a lockdown and they can't, they can't fulfill that promise. Even though they had the means to fulfill it, they weren't able to. And we can make promises today. You know, I, Hey, I'm going to do this and this and this, or I'll help you cut down a tree tomorrow or whatever. And maybe there's a tornado. I mean, there, there's just so many things that are outside of our control. Even when we want to fulfill our promises, we're not able to. But when God makes a promise, he doesn't even get up off his throne. He just sits there and makes a promise. And he already knows that he's going to make it. And he's going to keep it. And it's going to be sealed a lot better than this 15-cent bottled water that I have from CVS. I mean, look at this. This seal doesn't even really leak. And it's 
was probably made in China or something. That's a blessing. So the Holy Spirit comforts us. Look, if you would, back in Ephesians chapter 4. I really am sorry. I didn't mean to embarrass you guys. I, that was so tempting, and I just magnetically... I should have taken the magnets out of my sleeve when I came. Come back to, uh, to verse number 30. The Bible says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, I want to be, I hope I have evidence of this and not just me sounding out words. I want to be somebody who's not like that jar in my grandmother's basement. I don't want God to have to, you know, hold the jar like this because it's so filthy. Now, obviously, all of us are sinners and all of us are not going to be pure in his sight. But we would want our vessel to be somewhat clean on the outside. But at the end, what he's going to do is he's going to, what? He's going to seal me under the day of redemption. And one day I'm going to have a glorified body. I hope that means my hairline will come back. I don't know. All of us will probably say, I hope this and I hope that. Well, I don't know about any of that, but it doesn't matter. But you know what? Even if all my hair fell out and we were all bald in heaven, which I don't think that's the case. Even if that was a so, nobody would care. It wouldn't matter to anybody. All the things that we have hangups about, they would all be out the window. No one would care about that anymore because we'd be with the Lord. He's going to seal us or he has sealed us unto the day of redemption and nothing is going to break that seal. Nothing is going to stop him from fulfilling his promise. No Democrat, no Republican, no health expert, no dictator somewhere on the other side of the globe. God is going to be able to keep all of his promises. With that in mind, why would I spend so much time reading the words of men and women who don't keep their promises and won't keep their promises? Why wouldn't I sink it into this word where it would give me hope and a hopeless world and comfort in a crazy world? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this morning. I thank you so much these young people came uh, to Sunday school. I pray these words would sink into their minds and find fertile ground. Lord, I realize that some of our young people may come to church more out of obligation than desire, but I pray that when they come that you would still anyway deal with their heart and show them how wonderful it is to live for you. And Lord, I cannot convince them about how awful the world is. I pray you would convince them from your word and from their life experience that it is such a blessing to follow you and to turn away from you is such a curse on our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, preacher. Thank you, Brother Jed. Appreciate that. Great job. Just real quick to wrap up this morning. What an incredible ministry the Holy Spirit has in our lives. When God saved us, he did not just give us heaven. He gave us so much more. And one of the things he gave us, the Holy Spirit, for these purposes, to seal us, to teach us, to comfort us, to help us, to be with us. Uh, Jesus made that promise, lo, I'm with you always, even in the end of the world. How did he keep that promise? By giving us, by sending us the Holy Spirit. And times in your life feels like nobody else is there, nobody else can help. Holy Spirit's there and can help and he will help if you allow him to. Just give you the last few blanks in your outline quickly under the day of redemption. Our souls were redeemed when we trusted Christ. Brother Jed made reference to that. We still have our flesh. We got saved. Holy Spirit seals us. But there's this tension, this conflict. 
because we still have our flesh. But our bodies will be redeemed when Jesus comes again. That's the definition of the day of redemption. When Christ returns and gives us, changes us, finishes the work that he started, our bodies will be redeemed. That's the day of redemption in Romans 8. And then obviously the Holy Spirit seals us until that day. We've noted how all of these doctrines we've studied um, are connected. And the last thing we studied was eternal security, that we're saved forever, nothing can change it. And this doctrine of the Holy Spirit is attached to that doctrine. One of the reasons that we're saved forever is we're sealed by this Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Okay, you're dismissed. God bless you. Have a great day.